Merry Christmas! Thank you for being here. If we have not met, my name is Nathan. I am, well, I'm actually just a guy that was, I was on a jog this morning. A guy from here ran out. He said, hey, do you want to preach Christmas Eve services for us? And I said, no, I don't. And so we wrestled, and I lost, and here I am. So I've never done this before. Good luck to all of us, all right? Uh, honestly, if you're new, my name's Nathan, and I get to be the pastor here at West Bowles. This is my second time doing this, and um, I, uh, we just want to thank you. Honestly, from us to you, whether you got in the car and you drove here to join us in person, or you clicked in and you're joining us online, thank you for being here. In fact, it's right there that I want to pick up at, because some of you, you know, the, the experience of a Christmas Eve service, or really any time you engage in church, you would maybe describe it the same way that Jesus um, described something in John chapter 6. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6. He said, um, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And for you, you understand that even though you made the decision to be here uh, this afternoon or, or whenever you engage in church, you understand that somewhere underneath, you know, informing your thinking and stirring your heart is, is a heavenly father with his Holy Spirit drawing you into this. Now, for some others of us, and I'll include myself because a lot of my life, I, I thought about it this way. I figured that they actually, there was a typo in the Bible when they, when they translated it into English. And so some of you, you describe the experience of a Christmas Eve service or engaging with church like this. You actually think Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags them. Drags them. And, and isn't that why some of you are here right now? You got dragged. Okay, be honest, please. I mean, I grew up feeling like I just was being dragged to Christmas Eve service over and over. Teenagers, let me talk to you here for a second, okay? I mean, I know what you're going through right now. We get it, okay? But, but you're smart enough to know that of all the times of the year to, to put up a fight and argue with your parents, this day is not one of them, right? Because there's something on the line. Yeah, there's presents on the line, aren't there? So if that's you, don't feel bad. This happened in our house yesterday. I was sitting in the family room. Our eight-year-old son, Lincoln, he came down to the kitchen where my wife was, and um, he didn't know I was in the family room. And Lincoln said to my wife, Kara, hey, um, what are we doing tomorrow? And my wife said, well, we're, there's, there's not much going on in the morning, but then we have Christmas Eve service at church. And it, as soon as she like, tried to move on to say what we're going to do after service, I hear, ah. And I thought, poor guy. Like, he's probably got specific images of things at church he just doesn't like. You know, we, we didn't schedule Christmas Eve dodgeball, and so he's probably not happy about that. You know, maybe he didn't want to be around crowds. Maybe it's because he's still growing into these chairs. And, and then he said what his reservation was. And it wasn't any of those things. You know what he said? Do we have to listen to Dad's sermon? And as my wife said, yes, you have to listen to your dad's sermon, I heard like a whimper. You know when kids are like breaking into tears? And all I heard was, it's so boring. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, Lincoln, three, I, I got a three-hour sermon planned for you, okay? So anyhow, I, I begin there because if that has been your experience of church, you, you feel less drawn to church and more dragged 
to church, we get it. We absolutely get it. In fact, that, that word dragged really indicates resistance. And if you feel dragged to church, that's, that's not because there's no hope for you. It's because you're human. And as we've been talking about the last few weeks here at the church, humans have kingdoms. We all have kingdoms. And anytime more than one kingdom has to coexist, they're eventually going to clash, aren't they? And one kingdom's going to win, and somebody's going to get dragged along. Somebody's always going to get dragged along. Here's the thing, especially when it comes to Jesus. You go through enough times where you just feel dragged to Jesus, dragged along with Jesus. You know what happens? You begin to feel far from God. You begin to think, gosh, why, I, I don't feel the inspiration. I don't feel like I, I want to go along with this. I just feel dragged all the time. We begin to feel far from God. And, and usually our remedy for that is one of two things. One, we'll, we'll try to do more. Just if I just read the Bible a little more, if I just pray a little more, if I just attend church a little more, if I just do a little more, you know, if I, another good deed. And that works for a little bit. But after a while, you know what happens? You miss one thing, and what do you feel? Guilty. Guilty. And so the other thing we do is we just stay away. We just stay far from God. Now, what if I told you that there's a third option, a third solution to all of that, and it doesn't have anything to do with just do a little more and go down the guilty path, feel guilty, and it doesn't involve settling for staying away from God, but it's something else. Do you want to know the difference between being drawn to when it comes to Jesus and dragged through? It depends completely on what we're willing to drop. Completely on what we're willing to drop. And so I want to tell you a story this morning. And if you grew up in church, many of you, you've heard this. You're you're familiar with this story. But the reason this story just kept sitting there on my heart is because it involves some people that are truly far from God. I mean, literally far. There was long distance, but then in the culture that they were surrounded by, even their hearts would have been far from God. And yet, as you look at God drawing them and drawing them and drawing them to the bedside of baby Jesus, you know what you see along the way? There's a dropping of things. And the same things that they faced dropping, we 2,000 years later, there's still the exact same things in play for us. And so that story, it's found in Matthew chapter 2, where we've been the last few weeks, but we haven't covered this part. Go to the beginning there, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It'll be up on the side screens here. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, hey, guys, you know, God just opened up the sky and said, hey, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be holy. You've got to adjust. Nope, right there, where they were, God put in place something that they would have paid attention to. These men were thought to be astrologers who already paid attention to the skies at night. So right there in their surroundings, doing what they normally did with an object that they were used to paying attention to, you know what he did? He said, I'm just going to use that. I'm just going to show up and I'll speak your language in your normal setting. 
in your normal duties, in your normal existence, I'll just show up right there. Now, when I read that, I don't know about you, but that shifted some things for me. I remember thinking, oh, wait a second. What, what do we want? We want God to open up the sky, spell out in the clouds, write it across the sky what we're to do. And instead, he goes, no, no, no. The, the, the normal everyday objects in your view, those are mine. I made those. I can use those to get your attention. See, one of the first things that we may have to drop, and I think these guys had to drop, was their normal view of what was in front of them. Because don't we get stuck in our views? We can get stuck in our own domain and our own way of seeing things. In fact, in just a moment, just to, just to show this, that, that this is part of us, we're going to put an image on the screen. And this image, if you, if you immediately see what it is, I'm going to ask you not to yell it out, okay? But go ahead, let's put this image on the screen. Now, just in those few seconds, just raise your hand if you can already tell what it is. Okay, so we got a few. Keep looking at it. See, this, this is that thing that we do. We, we've got certain ways of looking. And so the first time I saw this, I was like, is that like a map? Is that like one of those ink blot tests that's going to tell me, you know, if I'm crazy or not? All right, anybody else gotten it? Okay, let's put up what it is. You'll see an outline. Oh, it's a cow. It's a cow. You know what? It took me like 30 minutes to get this. This is, this is just so natural to us. We can look a certain way at something right in front of us and totally miss it. Because whatever's going on in life, we, we have different filters, we have different lenses that we look through. And God says, you know what, I'll just start right there. I'll meet you right there. Well, the wise men, they move on. And having noticed that thing that they've stared at for so long a little bit differently, you find out the star has guided them. And this wasn't just like, hey, at 2 o'clock the star guided them, and by 3 o'clock they were in Jerusalem. Now, this was likely weeks and months across deserts that would have been incredibly risky for them to cross, risky to their lives and to their well-being. But they show up in Jerusalem, and they show up at this palace, where King Herod is, and they ask Herod, hey, where's the king? And you can imagine how upsetting this would have been to King Herod, right? Because you're the king, and these guys show up, and they say, where's the king? And you think, well, I'm right here. And they're just going, ah, you're not it. No, you're not it. And so King Herod hatches this plan. He says, look, I want you guys to go find whoever this baby king is so that I can go worship him. Because Herod actually has plans to discover where this baby king is and destroy him, and to kill him. Well, in verse 9, we find out another thing that these wise men and you and I face when it comes to dropping some things. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then look at this word, on coming to the house. Does that word surprise you a little bit? House? I mean, these men would have had expectations. These men would have been servants to royalty back where they came from. And where do you normally expect to find royalty? In a castle. In a palace. And yet the star had guided them where? To a house. To a house. 
not a palace in Jerusalem, but five miles down the road to Bethlehem, you know, is a common town, a common house with common parents, a common looking child. They're expecting a palace in Jerusalem and they get a house in Bethlehem. They start out following a star and they end up finding a shack. Have you been there? And when it comes to a relationship with God, don't we just get these, these ideas of what it should look like? You know, God's gonna, you'll hear, you'll hear some people out there, you'll even hear some preachers who say, you just follow God. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be wise. But we know from experience, it doesn't always look like that, does it? Sometimes it feels like life gets a little bit worse. And we create these ideals and these pictures of what it's got to look like, don't we? We absolutely do. I mean, I'm amazed at the list that I give God on a regular basis to say, God, you'll have my attention if. And it's so subtle. But we all have certain conditions that we'd love to see. See, not only do we maybe need to drop the way we look at what's in front of us, we may have to drop our ideals a little bit. Let me ask you, how would you define a bicycle? How would you define a bicycle? Two wheels, handlebars, pedals, maybe? This is, this is, um, this is my bike, okay? What is not here? Pedals. There was a company named Strider. You may have heard of them. Strider made an absolute splash uh, in the whole bicycle market um, years ago when they came out with pedalless bikes. And these pedalless bikes were really brought out with the intention of teaching children how to ride bikes. And so if you've ever used one or you've had a, you tried to teach a child to ride a bike and you've used one, you know how effective these are. Because in doing so, they dropped everybody's picture of a bike. They dropped the pedals. And you know what millions and millions of families and kids found out? You drop the pedals and you teach a kid balance. When the pedals come off the bike, a kid learns how to balance. So that when they get to a bike and there are pedals, guess what? They pick it up like that. See, sometimes we've got to drop our picture of what a relationship with Jesus should look like. Well, the passage continues. And there's something else. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Did you catch that? They, they worshipped him. Now, these were, these were important men back home. I mean, they had wealth and they had influence, and yet here they are, they're on a dirt floor in, in, a, in a, just a regular house in Bethlehem before a Jewish baby. You know what they're doing? They're proclaiming him as their own king. There was no pride and there was no dignity that was keeping them from worshipping him. And I thought, oh my goodness, I read that and I just went, that alone is what keeps me and keeps all of us from worship right there, isn't it? Th- that dignity that we hold on to. You know what will keep you from worshiping Jesus more than anything else? Is thinking about who you are in the eyes of other people. And we're all prone to that. And so they drop the way they looked at what's in front of them. They dropped their ideals of what this king was going to look like. They had to drop their distinction. I remember elementary school, and I've shared this with some of you before. Okay, elementary school, um, 
<clears throat> I was hot stuff, okay? I mean, I was just hot stuff in elementary school. I was like six foot two or uh, two foot six, sorry, is one of them. They're pretty much the same. But anyway, um, in elementary school, I remember it was like fourth, maybe fifth grade. These two girls were just absolutely in love with me. And I'm not scared to say that. They were, all right? So there's Amber and there was Michelle. And I remember they were very different in how they gave attention. Amber was one of these who, um, you remember notes? I'm talking to the children of like the 80s and 90s right now, okay? Now it's text messages. But remember notes? You'd pass the note. And Amber, was, she was a note passer. She was always passing notes and, and, and communicating what her thoughts were and how handsome I was and all these things. Um, I think it was just that all the time. But anyway, but when it came to like the playground, you know, like hanging out with Amber, she stayed at a distance. She always stayed at a distance. Now, Michelle, on the other hand, Michelle like dropped everything. I mean, everywhere I went, she's like, hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Following me everywhere. I'd play football at recess. Hi, Nathan. Can I play? You know, one time showed up at our house. I didn't even know she knew where I lived. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. See, she dropped everything. And of course, I was like, get away, Michelle. You know, you're just annoying me right now. But you know who won't do that? Your heavenly father. See, when you drop you, when the pride goes away, when the dignity goes away, when the distinction goes away, you know what you're freed up to do? To worship. To worship the king. As the verse continues, you see something else. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, You'll hear sermons, you may read books about the symbolism of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and it's, it's really insightful. You know, the gold indicated royalty and the frankincense indicated deity, you know, godlike worship, and myrrh was an embalming substance. But the point of these gifts is just how costly they were. How costly. See, oftentimes, I think what we do is it's very easy for me to get to the end of a day and and we can give them our leftovers, can't we? And yet they gave the costly things. You know, in our day and age, it might be dollars. It might be Bitcoin. If you ask me, it'd be double stuff Oreos. That would be very hard, but I think I could do it, all right? See, they gave in a costly way. And the question for you and I is... What could we offer? What could we offer? See, these were things that, that people in their culture would have pursued. They would have devoted their lives to the attainment of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And yet here are these guys. And, and notice what the verse says. It says presented. It doesn't say he had to open their hands and pry it. No, presented as in this. Look what I brought for you. Not you had to fight me for it. You want to know the most costly, valuable gift you could present this king is your devotion. Your devotion. A a shift in devotion from the attainment of what we think is so valuable to the devotion of giving of ourselves. The gifts you have. See, what happens when you enter a relationship with Jesus Christ is he says, you know what? You have a gift. I've put gifts in you. And the greatest thing you could do is pour out the gifts I've given you in the service of other people. And so, 
they had to drop their devotion as it was and shift it. And finally, we see how this account closes. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That is, they went back differently. There was something so special about this one they had encountered. There was something so unique about him that they couldn't go forth the same way at all. Something in him had challenged them. Something in him had shown them something. Something in him was so special that they had to go forward differently. You know what you'll see throughout scripture? Every single time somebody encounters Jesus, you know what they do? They go forward differently. They go forward differently every time. That, that night he was born, shepherds came and saw him. And these shepherds who had been tending their flocks, when they encountered Jesus and they saw him, they went back to their flocks, but they went back differently. They were praising God. When Jesus encountered some fishermen, he looked at them and he said, look, you guys have been fishermen. Now you're going to become fishers of men. You're going to go forward differently. He encounters a sinful woman at a well. And she comes thinking she's getting water and she goes back with a testimony. Back to the same places, but totally different. I mean, don't we like familiar paths? You know, we mow the lawn the same direction every single time. We'll we'll drive the exact same way to work, to and from work, to school, to friends' houses. When you go to class, you'll walk down the same hallways every single day. And yet, this is an invitation to go forward differently. And so they had to drop even their direction. Years ago, I mentioned, I used to to feel like I got dragged to Christmas Eve service. And so what happened was, I didn't just feel like I got dragged to Christmas Eve service. I felt like I was getting dragged to Sundays. And so my parents would often, we went to a church like across town. It was 30, 40 minutes away. And so they'd come in and they'd wake me up on a Sunday and they'd go, hey, you want to go to church? And some mornings I just had to go. Other mornings they'd say, do you want to go to church? And I remember just going, ah, I just don't feel good. I don't feel good. It was amazing how many Sunday mornings I would get a fever. It was amazing, okay? But every single Sunday morning, I go, no thanks. I don't want to. You know, I clearly have a direction in life. I'm going to be a starting center in the NBA. I mean, it's just, it's a given. I was going that direction. I was going a lot of different directions. I, in my mind, thought I was going all over the place. And so what does God do? Okay, Nathan, you want to skip church? Guess what you're going to become? A pastor. So don't skip church, all right? But here's my point. It's not a dragged to thing. In the beginning when I said I get to, that's what God's done in this heart. See, it used to be dragged to. And then it became drawn to. It became drawn to if we'll be willing to maybe drop the direction we think we have. You want to know the difference in a relationship with Christ between drawn to and dragged through? It all depends on what we're willing to drop. Can I drop my view of the things in front of me? Can I drop my ideals? Can I drop my distinction, my devotion, my direction? You know what happens? In the process of dropping those things, any drag we create in the relationship, it goes away. And you discover you're drawn to. Now, I know what you're sitting here thinking. Okay, Nathan, how do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, one of those is hard enough. 
How do we do that? You know what? God knew. God knew that. And God knows that. And God planned for that. Because see, the other thing you'll see, if you'll go home and you'll just read this handful of verses, the other thing you'll see as you go through them is God's hand in the background all the way. When they were in their setting, in their culture, what does God do? He brings a star. When they had a picture of what it should look like, what does he do? He gives them joy. And not just joy, they're overjoyed. When they walk into the house, you know, there's throughout the Old Testament, but especially with Moses, you read about how nobody can see the face of God and live. And yet they get a glimpse of this baby king. And not only are they alive, they're worshiping. They're given these treasures that you would think would be so hard to let go of. And what does he do? He gives them the desire to present them. And these treasures would have had a purpose because not long after this, Jesus' family ends up in Egypt. And many scholars believe it was the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh that would sustain that family in a foreign country in Egypt. And when they had to get back home, the same place they came from, what did God do? He gave them a dream and he gave them guidance. See, all along the way, you know what God is doing? He's drawing them. And he's drawing you and he's drawing me into dropping the things that we want to hold on to over and over and over. Why does he want to do that? Why would God want to do that? Because he's a God who says, I will do anything to make sure you have everything in me. One story and I'm done. There was an article that came out last year, and some of you may have seen this. In fact, one of our congregation members posted this on social media. Uh, there, there was a clip from uh, Charlie Brown, Christmas, 1965, I believe it came out. And they talk about Linus in this article. You remember Linus? Okay, Linus is the one, he's always walking around with the blanket. It's like his security everywhere he goes. And in every single Charlie Brown comic strip or show or, or movie that you saw, Linus is walking around with a blanket until the Christmas play. I want you to watch this clip. It's about a minute, minute and a half long. And pay attention to when Linus drops the blanket. Take a look. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you.
That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I mean, I, it would have worked better if he wouldn't have picked the blanket back up, right? <laughs> Do you notice? Fear not. And he dropped the blanket. Because something happens when we're willing to drop what we're holding so dearly. If we'll drop our point of view, if we'll drop our ideals, our distinction, our devotion, our direction, you know what happens? We're freed up. We're freed up. When we can drop our kingdom, guess what? You're freed up to hold a baby king. The difference between being drawn to a relationship with Jesus and dragged through one depends entirely on what we're willing to drop and he is faithful to draw you into it and providing when you drop it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We come before you and we are reminded that you are a God who, you look at us and you don't ask us to change anything in order for you to come to us. Instead, you came to us right as we are. And you came to us in the story of coming to these wise men it's a reminder that you're a God who you, you can meet us wherever we're at and you can draw us along and you can draw us to you. And so, Lord, open our eyes this Christmas. What are the things that we're holding in our arms? What are the things we're holding on to? And then, Lord, lift our eyes to see that you are ready and willing to provide even better than whatever we're holding on to. And that as we drop those things, we're truly, truly open to be able to embrace, not just with our arms, but with our hearts, that King you gave us at Christmas. We thank you and we praise you and we glorify you on this Christmas Eve 2021. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.